I invite you to uh, join me in your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. It can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1,892. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. In uh, Jude, verses 3 and 4, um, Jude says something very important. He says, Dear friends, Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. In this, he says, there is uh, this uh, faith. That was once for all delivered, and that we should contend for it, fight, fight for it. Um, this is um, what has often led people to believe that. Um, there was an understanding of an apostolic teaching, an apostolic collection of what the faith meant, capital F, that this was a, um, something that was passed down. And uh, this was something that the first century church had. And this was something that they had in a form of, of, of sound words, in a form of uh, sound doctrine, um, something very much like what we call a confession of faith today, right? Um, and uh, that's why many people uh, call the creed that we confess tonight, the Apostles' Creed, because this was a summary of these teachings. Um, and, and Jude says that he wrote to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Um, he speaks of the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people, and he calls those he is writing to to contend, to fight for this faith. And he says it's because false teachers have slipped in among them. And so his reason for this is that, that false teachers... Um, have come into the church. And they're perverting this once for all delivered faith. Right? Peter has a very similar message for us in the closing of his letter. But unlike Jude's audience, Peter's letters, recipients, are not facing false teachers, but rather they're facing hardships um, from the outside. 
Not that they um, couldn't also encounter false teachers on the inside, but they're facing hardships as their neighbors have begun to find their religion suspicious, began to see them as a threat to their normalcy, their way of life. Jude is saying, watch out for the enemies that are hiding among you. Peter is saying, watch out for the enemies that are in the world. The message is still the same, though. This is uh, what uh, Peter wants his audience to know. This is what he wants to say in his final goodbyes. He wants to say, stand fast in the true grace of God. Stand fast in the true grace of God. This is his message. This is his message that essentially wraps up all that he's communicated to his audience to this point in his letter. He calls them to stand fast in the true grace of God. So we have uh, three points tonight. The first is um, encourage and testify. And it's uh, verse 12. Uh, The second is chosen with you. And uh, that's verse 13. And the final one is love and peace. Verse 14. So let's look at this first point together. Encourage and testify. There's a couple of questions that we need to answer as we look at this final passage, this final closing to Peter's letter. Um, And that is, um, who is Silas? Or if you look at the textual note in your NIV Bibles, it says Silvanus. Uh, Silvanus is the Greek uh, form of this name, okay? And it says, with the help of Silas or Silvanus, whom I regard as a faithful brother, uh, I have written to you uh, briefly. So, what we uh, believe that Peter's communicating here is one of two things. Um, and I'm going to uh, use the technical term here. It's uh, amenuensis. An amenuensis is uh, basically the person who is listening to Peter say what he wants to say and writing it down. Um, this is something that was done often in, uh, in the Greek culture, in the Roman culture. An amenuensis would be somebody who was skilled, learned. Um, it'd be like a scribe in uh, Jewish times. Skilled, learned in the, in the form of letter writing, in the form of uh, putting together uh, something like this, crafting something like this. And so Peter would communicate what he wanted to say. And then Silvanus, he would, or Silas, he would, uh, he would make it look good in Greek. It would make it make sense in Greek, okay? Or it's saying uh, that Sylvanus was the courier, the letter carrier. He was the one um, whom Peter gave this letter to, um, and then uh, he's, he traveled to the destination where this was being delivered, and he handed the, the, the letter personally to him. This is something that was done often in old times as well. You entrusted the letter not simply to the postal service uh, because they didn't have that back then, um, and, um, um, 
And so you wanted to make sure that the letter got to where you're going to, so you gave it to an entrusted individual, somebody who could uh, come and not only uh, give testimony to the work of God where, uh, where you were and what you were doing, but also deliver this letter and, and make sure that this letter is read before the congregation. So um, it could be uh, that Silas was the courier as well, or the answer could be that he was both. Um, now, some people argue... Uh, um, for an, um, that Silas was an amanuensis because they say, well, Peter's just a dumb fisherman from Galilee. How could he be as learned as... I don't tend to think that arguments about um, the, the, the intelligence or lack thereof of the apostles means there's no way that Peter could have written this letter himself to really be all that convincing, in my opinion. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong, though, with Peter having an amanuensis, somebody who uh, writes this letter uh, for him. As he, as he speaks it out loud, this person is writing it. This person is making sure that this says what Peter wants it to say. And, and so Peter says, I regard Silvanus, and if you know the name Silvanus, it's actually a name that is attached to Paul in some of his missionary trips. Um, Silvanus as a faithful brother. And then, uh, and then uh, Peter says, I've written to you briefly. Now, in comparison to the letter to the Romans, First uh, Peter is, is pretty brief. Um, it's, uh, it's five chapters. Um, not that they had chapters when he wrote it. Um, it's not too long of a letter. It's something that you could probably listen to in a short amount of time. Um, but it this term written to you briefly, it makes me laugh because it makes me think of uh, the author of the book of Hebrews. You know, he says, um, now I have, you know, I've given you this short exhortation. Have you read the book of Hebrews? That is not a short exhortation. And that makes me think about how just before I came here tonight, I asked my daughter, Ellie, Ellie Mae Eleanor, I said, do you like our church? She says, yeah, I like, well, I like it a little. I was like, you like it a little? And she said, well, I like it except when it goes too long. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean it goes too long? And she's like, well, it goes. I said, whose fault is that? And she said, it's your fault. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I, I talk too much, don't I? She said, yeah. I said, you just want me to get done so you can get to the cookies, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Bear with me as I give you this brief exhortation. <laughs> Peter writes to them briefly, but what does he write to them to do? To encourage them. Right? Encouraging you. And to testify. To testify. Peter writes this letter because he knows it's important that these Christians hear this encouragement. They hear the encouragement that he is giving to them by declaring to them all that he's declared. Don't you think it's encouraging to hear these words? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
That's encouraging to me. Um, it's encouraging me to hear those great and wonderful words about the salvation that uh, we have in, in Jesus Christ. Um, it's encouraging to hear these words. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Verse 23, for you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the words of the Lord stand forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't it encouraging to hear these words? As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined to do. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people... But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Isn't that encouraging? Wouldn't you want to know that you belong? That you're part of a people of God? That you have a great salvation that cannot perish, cannot fade? And there's so many other words um, that Peter offers in this letter that would have been encouraging to his audience, but also encouraging to us today. But not only does he want to encourage them, but he wants to testify. Um, he wants to speak about the work that Christ has done. Proclaim the work that Christ has done. Proclaim about the salvation that they have. He wants to encourage them in the Christian life. He wants to testify about the good news of Jesus Christ. He wants to give them counsel and advice, but he also wants to testify a very important truth. Now what is that? Testifying. Testi what is he testifying about? Um, that this is. The true grace of God. That this is the true grace of God. Peter in essence is saying. What I have written to you. In this letter, what I have communicated to you in this letter, all of it, it's been an encouraging and a testifying about the true grace of God. Not only has Peter talked about what we have said, right, the indicative, what is true about what's been done for us, what's been accomplished for us, but he also talks about the imperative, what it is that we are called to do in response to what's been done for us. 
the indicative and the imperative, these things together, they are an expression of the true grace of God. We hear about the grace of God for us in Jesus Christ, his blood purchasing our salvation. But we also hear about the grace of God when we learn that because of the work of Jesus Christ, we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit and empowered to live Christian lives of humility, empowered to live Christian lives of holiness and godliness, empowered to live lives that testify to the reason for the hope that we have. There is so much that could cause us in this life um, to stumble and to fall. And that's why Peter says these last words. Stand fast in it. Stand fast in the true grace of God. Stand fast. In it. Do not move to the right or to the left. Stand fast in the true grace of God. Don't give it up for a cheap counterfeit. Don't give it up for the comfort that you might receive in your culture your community, your society. Don't give it up because it means that you'll stop having bad words said about you. Don't give it up because you're in the midst of a fiery trial. Don't give it up because, you know, you think to yourself, well, I'll really believe it in my heart but if I say these things, then these people will leave me alone. Don't give it up because you thought the Christian life was all supposed to be flowers and rainbows and sprinkles. But you have been surprised that painful trials and sufferings have come upon you. Because Peter reminds you that your Savior, Jesus Christ, suffered. And really, suffering it's an opportunity to rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when this glory is revealed. Don't give it up because people insult you because Peter says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed by the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God rests on you. Don't give it up because you're suffering because if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal. However, if you suffer as a Christian, praise God. That you bear that name. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Don't give it up because people are speaking maliciously against you and your good behavior in Christ. Because on the day that Christ visits, they will be ashamed of their slander. Don't give it up. Stand fast in the grace of God. Stand fast because you're reminded that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. 
Some of them maybe even suffering worse. Stand fast. And so we move on to the second point. Chosen with you. Verse 13. The next thing that Peter says is, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Um, first of all, we have to ask the question, um, who is she? Who is she? Um, the second question we have to ask is, where is Babylon? What are these two things talking about? There has been much debate about what exactly it is Peter is saying when he says, she who is in Babylon chosen together with you uh, sends you her greetings. Is this a woman, an individual? Um, just like um, uh, John will say, you know, in his letters, um, you know, say um, hello, uh, so-and-so who's with me says hello to you, right? And it's an individual. Um, or is this... Uh, meant to be uh, understanding as a group. Um, well, if you correlate this um, phrase that um, Peter is saying with um, his opening to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Um, he's speaking about a group there. He's talking about the dispersion, right? Uh, the people who have been scattered throughout um, then what we uh, believe he is talking about here is, um, is the church, um, where he is writing from. Um, and it makes sense that the church is spoken of in a, a feminine form because um, Peter would have been familiar with the teaching that Christ was the groom and the bride of Christ was his church and on the language that uh, she was to be clothed in white and and, uh, and so the church is spoken of here in a feminine sense. Uh, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, uh, sends you her greetings. Um, and so chosen together, then, would be in the same sense that Peter uses it um, in the first part of his letter. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, right? Uh, God's elect. This is about um, election. This is about uh, God's grace. Peter's saying, uh, what I have said to you about what it means to be part of the church um, is also true about uh, the church where I'm at right now and I'm writing to you. Uh, but why does he say uh, uh, she who is in Babylon. She who is in Babylon. Okay? Well, essentially, there are three interpretations of what he's talking about here. Okay? Um, for a lot of uh, church history, people simply took this as Peter saying he's in Babylon. Um, the, uh, the place that uh, the Tigris-Euphrates 
um, um, basin, the, the place where the Babylonian kingdom was in the Old Testament, that, that the gospel um, has reached all the way to this area. In fact, um, this would not have been uh, strange or bizarre for Peter to have traveled all the way to Babylon because we understand that Paul kind of viewed himself as the apostle to the Gentiles, and Peter viewed himself as the apostle to the Jews. And there was a dispersion of Jews who lived in this area, the diaspora Jews who had settled here in, in what would be understood as Babylon. And so it could make sense that Peter has traveled out there, that he has shared with them the good news of Jesus Christ, and that he is there writing in Babylon to um, his, uh, this letter to this audience. Okay, uh, So that would be one way um, of interpreting that. Um, another way to interpret this would be that he's talking about Rome. Um, the reason why people would say that Peter is talking about Rome is because a particular interpretation of the book of Revelation views uh, what John is talking about there that he calls Babylon as the city of Rome. And so the idea is that Peter has already picked up this concept um, of that um, uh, is drawn from this uh, 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 apocryphal, not apocryphal, uh, apocalyptic uh, imagery uh, that associates the city of Rome with uh, that old city um, from the Old Testament, Babylon, because uh, Babylon was uh, the one in which the people of Israel went into exile. Babylon was the one who ruled over the people of Israel. And Babylon was also a place filled with many pagan deities and, and idols and much wickedness, right? Well, at the time that Peter's writing, uh, Rome is the one that is oppressing or, or controlling the people of Israel. And Rome is, is, is uh, the place that is filled with many false religions, idols, and wicked uh, things. Okay, So that's the reason why some people believe um, that it's Babylon is Rome that he's talking about. That he's writing from Rome. And if you um, understand uh, what is sort of understood as church history, the belief is that Peter was crucified upside down um, during the, uh, the reign of Emperor Nero. Um, so, you know, how do you place Peter in Rome at the time that these things are happening? Well, you say that Peter was riding from Rome this ladder, and that's why he says, you know, she who was in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. Okay. Another interpretation is that he's talking about Jerusalem. Now, I kind of um, have to admit to you that this is the minority interpretation, but I prefer it. So, just putting it out there. And the reason why my conviction is that when he says Babylon, he's talking about Jerusalem. Is because I actually think that in the book of Revelation, when it talks about Babylon, it's not talking about Rome. It's talking about Jerusalem. And the reason why Peter would associate Babylon with Jerusalem is because now that Christ has come, and now that the Messiah has come, um, the place that is filled with the most idolatry, 
The place that is filled with the most false beliefs and convictions and evil practices is the place where there's a temple that is giving sacrifices to um, a God that, you know, uh, they don't believe in because they've rejected Jesus, okay? And so Peter understands now that the um, uh, Jerusalem, as much as it used to be seen as a holy place, um, has now been flipped on its head because of the change that's happened because of the coming of Jesus Christ. Right? And so he, uh, it makes sense then that he would be writing from Jerusalem because he is a big part of the church in Jerusalem, uh, leadership of the church in Jerusalem. And so he's saying, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, is kind of an interesting inversion of what, um, of, of what the, uh, the time of Israel would say. That, that now he's saying, even though I'm in the holy city of Jerusalem, I'm the one that's in exile. You're the ones that are out living out what God has called you to do. Okay? And so he's saying, I'm writing to you from Rome, or from, I'm writing to you from Jerusalem. Um, and the church that's here in Jerusalem, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does um, Mark. And Mark would be the Mark that you think of when you think Mark, the one that Paul didn't want to go on a trip with him because Paul and Barnabas did. And that's why they split up that Mark, the Mark that wrote the gospel of Mark, that Mark that Peter's talking about here. Okay? Um, but here's my, here's my final word on this. What, what is he talking about when he talks about Babylon? Um, this is not a, a doctrine that's going to change <laughs> anything, okay? So if you think it's talking about that Peter's actually in Babylon, nothing wrong with that. If you think Peter's talking about figuratively speaking about Rome, nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, just I find uh, this, this view um, uh, appealing. I find this view um, convincing. And you know what? I can be convinced otherwise if something were to, were to happen, Okay. And our final point then for tonight, as we wrap up the book of 1 Peter, is what we call just a typical ending to a, a Greek letter. And uh, that is that Peter says two things. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And peace to all of you who are in Christ. But this does encapsulate something that's important about the Christian community. And that is that there's supposed to be a warmness um, to the Christian community. Um, now, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's been a while since we've uh, come into church and kissed each other. <laughs> but uh, what's encapsulated in that uh, practice that Peter is saying, uh, greet one another with a kiss of love, greet one another uh, with a holy kiss, 
is the idea that when we gather together and when we see our brothers and sisters in Christ, there's supposed to be this joy that fills our heart. There's supposed to be this warmth and love that we have for one another, that we have for seeing each other, that it just wells up and, the, and, and we just, come here, give me a hug, you know? And I think a lot of people say, well, you know, what Peter is saying about greet one another with a kiss of love, you know, we sort of express the same thing by handshakes. But I got to be honest with you guys. How warm is a handshake? It's not, I think, encapsulating the same thing, you know, um, as greeting one another with a, with a kiss of love. It's not expressing the same kind of warmth and care um, that that has, you know. And that's societally our practice. I mean, in, in lots of European countries, people still do kiss each other on the sides of the cheeks, you know. Um, but whatever is your typical practice of greeting another person, you can do that, whatever it may be, if, if it's a kiss or if it's a handshake, in a uh, routine non-caring, sort of going through the motions fashion. And this is not what Peter is saying to do to your brothers and sisters in Christ. He's saying, he's saying, greet one another with love. And this is love that that he's defined in his um, letter to the congregation. This is love that he's spoken of, that he's described, that he's expressed what this kind of love is. Chapter, 20, or, uh, chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. So, how can we show, show that love and that care um, that we have for each other? Because we're united together in Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Fauci, we're not going to get rid of the handshake. I'm, ins- I'm saying let's go further, okay, than a handshake, if we can. Uh, and then he says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. And this is the last thing I'll say about, um, about this. Peter here is, is giving what we call a benediction. In fact, as I've preached through the book of 1 Peter, I have done God's greeting by using the greeting in the letter of 1 Peter, and I have closed out the service of the benediction by using the benediction that Peter gives here. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. But Peter has a very important statement to say about uh, peace. Um, uh, this peace is exclusive. This peace, he says, are only for those who are in Christ. This peace is the peace that's beyond all understanding. It's a peace that uh, goes beyond all circumstances and situations in life. This is the peace that you feel even in the midst of the hardest, most difficult time, most difficult situation, most difficult hardship that you face in your life. This is a peace that only Christ can give. It's not a peace that's available to the world who's rejected Christ. 
This is the peace that we offer to others when we invite them to Christ. A peace that comes only from knowing that because our sins are forgiven, we have peace with God. And my prayer is that you all, by true faith of Jesus Christ, know that peace. And my prayer is that you would offer that peace to others in this world. And my prayer, too, as we close out on the letter of 1 Peter, is that you would stand fast in the true grace of God. Amen. We pray with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your true grace. May we stand fast in it. May we know, Lord, that you have shown us such great grace and that you have blessed us in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be encouraged. Help us, Lord, to testify of this true grace and to stand fast in it by your strength and by your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.